beautiful. I, maybe we ought to make it a prerequisite to serve on the city council. You have to be able to sing <laughs> like, like that. So. I'm so glad that you're here, and I'm so glad that my friend Roger Thompson is here and is going to be speaking for us today. He is no stranger to this place, no stranger to this pulpit, and no stranger to all of you. If you have not met him, I hope that you'll take time to meet him today. Uh, before he comes and speaks, though, I want to say a word about these, these beautiful parabacks that we just got on and tell you a little bit about what a, a labor of love that has been for the past seven years. Uh, Deborah Thompson uh, and another, another woman in Birmingham whom I'm not acquainted with have needle-pointed these things, the backs of these chairs, to, to match our, our needlers, which are quite intricate and beautiful if you haven't taken the time to, to, to um, notice those. They are not only beautiful, not only handmade, and not only hours and hours of loving labor went into those, but they are also very symbolic, and they, and they are given in memory and in honor, and I want to share that with you. The large chair in the middle where Roger is sitting now, which you'll have to walk around the pulpit to see, uh, is, is a beautiful chair, and it is given by uh, Julia Nolan Knox in memory of Bishop Lloyd Knox, which I don't know if you all, I don't even know if my own church knows it. In 1990, um, the bishop who laid his hands on my head and ordained me was Bishop Lloyd Knox, and I, I've loved uh, him ever since. The Alpha Omega chair over here is given in memory of Mary Lee Harden Willard by Bill Willard. And so we remember her fondly. I didn't get to know her. You all did. And we will think of Mary Lee whenever we look at that chair. Thank you so much. And then the IHS chair, fun fact, IHS stands for Jesus Homonum Salvador, and that means Jesus Savior of Man. It, it's a Christogram of an ancient way of writing Jesus Christ. That's what that is. But so whenever you see it on a cross, um, it's short for Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior, the Ictus. It's IHS. Jesus, Jesus uh, Hominum Salvator is what that stands for. It's given in honor of our congregation by none other than Reverend Roger Thompson and Deborah Thompson. So... I, it warms my heart to think about them loving us enough to do that for, for them. And it warms my heart that um, Deborah got to see it today unexpectedly. It was ready earlier than we thought, and that um, Roger's going to come and share with us. So, Roger? Good to be home. And good to see all of you today. It's uh, a joy to be here. Um, as uh, most of you know, when we left here, it was under duress. <laughs> uh, the bishop, uh, Bishop Willeman, said to me when he told me I was going on the cabinet, uh, he said, uh, I, I said, you know, I really don't want to leave Gadsden first. And he said, well, before you were, you were theirs, you were mine. <coughs> and he wasn't just saying that about himself, but about the Episcopacy, because uh, all of us who are ordained and elders in the church uh, take a vow to go where we're sent and uh, we didn't particularly want to leave Gadsden first but we went where we were sent and, and uh, had a great ministry for those six years on the Southwest District 
a lot of the uh, work on these pulpit chairs was done as we were riding up and down the roads of the district. Um, and uh, uh, I, I couldn't have done uh, what I did in those six years without Deborah. And, um, uh, but she took uh, her needlepoint with her, her needlework with her, on most every drive that we made, and we had some long drives. The first week we were in the district, we drove over 400 miles. So uh, I was putting about uh, about uh, uh, 15,000 miles a year on my car. So uh, so we had a lot of opportunity to do needlework, and, and uh, she did that, and and uh, many other hours, as, as Sam said. And, uh, I was delighted to see these here today. What a what a treat. Um, so it's good to be back home and good to be with you and um, um, just know that we love you and, and are de delighted, I was delighted to get the invitation to be a part of this service today. Let's uh, get right to it. And uh, the passage of scripture that I want to read this morning is uh, from the 8th chapter of Mark's Gospel and um, I'm going to begin reading with verse 31 of that uh, chapter, uh, and it's headed, Jesus predicts his death. Uh, you'll, you'll probably remember kind of the context of this uh, particular passage. Uh, it's right after Jesus has uh, asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Uh, and of course we remember uh, their response, Peter's response there was, uh, you are the Christ. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get me hot behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Loving God, once again, I pray that you would rescue me from me. Hide me behind your cross. Give me the words to say this day that you would have us here as your people gathered in this place. And Father, if there's someone here this afternoon who needs to hear a special call from you upon their life, 
and I pray that you would use the words of this message, the beautiful song that Kent has sung, and all that we do here today to touch their life for you. For I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You've probably heard uh, people say uh, something about having a cross to bear. Maybe you've even said that yourself a time or two when something's been going on in your life. Uh, a dear, dear friend uh, called me one day, and he was very tearful as he told me uh, about his son, uh, whom Deborah and I have known since his birth. <laughs> I probably changed a diaper or two on this young man. But she, he told me about his son, who um, uh, had... Uh, I'd actually done his wedding just a, a year or so before. But he told me about his son who, who had fallen off the wagon. And we didn't know that he was an addict, that he had a drug problem, that he had been started using drugs when he was in high school and, and he was now in his early 30s. And we didn't know. They never told us. And uh, he is now married and, and has a, a beautiful young daughter who was his wife's daughter uh, prior, and they're expecting another baby soon. And, and uh, he had fallen off the wagon. And our friend said, you know, I guess this is just my cross to bear. Um, another friend called me all excited one day. His first grandson had been born, and he was so excited. And he had, he had been to the hospital and held the new grandson in his arms, and he told me how beautiful the child was. And then in the next breath, it kind of came back to reality. As he told me about the fact that his son and, and uh, daughter, or, or uh, the, the, that the parents of the, the grandson weren't married and they had a very rocky relationship and he didn't know whether they'd make it or not and, and so he, uh, he was terrified not just for what might happen in the life of his, of his son and his girlfriend but what might happen if they were to split and he might lose contact, you see, with this grandson. He was terrified of that. And he said, more or less, you know, I guess that's just kind of my cross to bear. And, and there are other things. I mean, I, I've heard that phrase used by people who are going through divorce or, or who were sick and, and and had all kinds of, of, of things going on in their lives that, you know, you've probably said it too. I've said it. We've all said it. Well, I guess that's just my cross to bear. Jesus here is talking to his disciples, and he gathers in uh, the crowd as well, and, and, he, and he begins to tell them <laughs> about what's coming up for him. And, and he's talking to his disciples, and, and, and he uh, first has to get beyond Peter, who uh, is the mouthpiece for Satan, if you 
if you believe what Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> and, and then he goes on to, to talk about what's coming for him. And, and the folks there listening to him uh, might not have understood it the way we understand it because uh, they didn't have the same experience that we have. But uh, he said to them, if anyone would be my disciple, he must take up his cross and follow me. Now, we're spending a whole week in Holy Week talking about what Jesus meant when he said that. And from looking back 2,000 years, a few centuries, uh, we have a different perspective than perhaps those folks who heard it the first time did because we know what it meant for Jesus to take up his cross, don't we? <laughs> We're spending this whole holy week from now until Saturday, remembering the passion and the death of Jesus. It's always been kind of curious to me that uh, a, a lot of folks come to church on Palm Sunday and then they come back on Easter Sunday and they miss all of the passion of Christ in between. It's as if they don't want to, to think about what it meant for Jesus to take up his cross. And yet, here we have a week. Here we have a week to help us understand what Jesus meant. If anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross and deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Now, there's a big difference between believing that Jesus is the Christ and following Big difference. Big difference. And it's in these three parts here. Deny yourself. What does it mean for us to deny ourselves? I mean, in the 21st century, we don't like to think much about that, do we? Uh, there's an old Peanuts cartoon, and I know I'm dating myself when I talk about Peanuts and the funny people. Uh, young people today uh, may not even know that there were funny papers in the newspaper. And some of them today don't even know what newspapers are, so <laughs> because it's all on here, you know, it's all on the, the phone. Uh, but when Peanuts was in the funny paper, there's this one time that uh, uh, um, Charlie Brown and Lucy are standing by the swing set. Lucy's swinging back and forth, and for some reason, Charlie Brown begins to talk about the fact that the world revolves around the sun. And Lucy stops the swing and looks Charlie Brown in the eye and said, I thought the world revolved around me. Now, that's kind of the way we think, isn't it? It's kind of the way we think. Uh, it's me, myself, and I, and it's... Uh, you know, we're so focused on what we need, what we want, what we have. Uh, it's kind of the way it is. When I went on the district, one of the first things that uh, I did, and I actually did it before we left here, was to buy an iPad. This is not it, but uh, I've already passed it on to Deborah and got a new one. Uh, 
but um, <clears throat> I bought an iPad, state of the art, you know. And uh, uh, Deborah said when I bought it, she said, uh, "Now what can you do with that that you can't do on your laptop?" And I didn't have a clue, <laughs> but I knew I wanted that iPad, and I was excited to get it. And so. Uh, after acquiring the iPad, I had not only my iPod, which I still have somewhere, it's in a drawer somewhere, I never use it, but uh, I had an iPad and an iPod and an iPhone that was smarter than me, and uh, a laptop computer and a desktop computer. We like our stuff, don't we? Um, we? We were running a little bit late today because Deborah left her phone at home. And we, we went back to get it. And she couldn't find it. And so, we, you know, when, when we don't have our things, that's upsetting to us. What does Jesus mean today for us to deny ourselves? Uh, uh, there's an old story about two uh, a war correspondents during World War, war II, and they went to a hospital, uh, and uh, they were observing the uh, nurse as she changed bandages on these horrible wounds, and oh, the, the smell was horrible, and the wounds were horrible, and, and one of the uh, correspondents looked at the other and he said, you know, I wouldn't do that for a million dollars. And the nurse looked up, and looked him in the eye and said, I wouldn't do it for a million dollars either. So, someone has written that, that uh, when we deny ourselves that we, we often take on the burdens of other people. And, and maybe, that's, maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe what it is that Christ is after for us uh, as he was his early disciples was to be servants. <laughs> to be servants. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Take up your cross. Again, we know what that meant for Jesus. <laughs> uh, he, he took up his cross and it meant uh, his death. But for us to take up our cross, what, is, what, what in the world could that, could that mean for us today? You know, uh, my uh, my friend who had the new grandson, uh, we talked about it, and, and he talked about his options of what he could do about uh, what was going on there, and he, uh, one of the options that we actually talked about, he said, you know, I could just uh, back away from them and not get involved in my grandson's life, and and not get hurt. But he decided a different tack. He decided that what he wanted to do instead was to get as close to his grandson as he could and, and so he began to spend a lot of time with him and he, and he decided that he wanted to support his uh, son and, and, and his girlfriend as much as he could and, and, and he did that not only financially but other ways as well and and, and he moved as close as he could and began to 
help them and to serve them. And, and I saw on Facebook just this week a picture of him baptizing his fourth He's stuck with them. Now they're married and have a fourth child. He took up his cross. You see, he and that was a, a that taking up the cross was a way of serving. So you remember the name Grandma Moses? Grandma Moses died in 1961 at 101 years of age, and uh, Grandma Moses was a folk artist. And she didn't take up art until she was well up in years. And, and uh, when she was 93, an interviewer talked to her. And the interviewer said to her, uh, uh, what's the, what's the uh, thing that you value the most in your life? And she looked at the interviewer and, and she said, well, I've helped some folks. He was expecting, I, I guess he was expecting uh, her to name one of her works of art or, or uh, name something else that she was very proud of, like uh, all of the prestige that she'd received over the years. Yeah, he was expecting, no, no. I've helped some folks. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Take up your cross to serve. We talked about that a lot when I was here, didn't we? Service was our, uh, that was our theme. We, we, we talked about it so much, and y'all responded in such powerful ways. Still doing some of the things that you did then. Serve. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. I, uh, my dear friend Bill Blackerby, Father Bill Blackerby, who is a, an Episcopal priest, uh, I may have spoken about him when I was here because he uh, was one of the three Episcopal priests that was part of my study group that uh, we went to Ireland uh, together while I was here, if you remember that trip. And um, But anyway, Bill uh, teaches a class at Birmingham Southern College uh, this is, is teaching this semester and, and uh, he called me uh, a week or so ago and he said would you come and speak to my class now the class has been focused on um, uh, the role of the church in things and events that led up to the Civil War I, I don't know if you knew it I, I I didn't know it, but uh, in the days prior to the Civil War, the Methodist Church was the second largest institution in America. You know what the first was? Federal government. The second largest institution. So the Methodist Church had a tremendous, tremendous influence on early American history. And uh, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, and some of that influence has not been all that good. 
But uh, what they had been studying, what they'd learned is that, that the uh, division in the Methodist church between North and South, between anti-slavery and pro-slavery, uh, played a role in the Civil War and in the Civil War happening as it did. Um, so uh, he asked me to come. They had been raising the issue of, of what happened in the United Methodist Church at General Conference in February uh, and the whole issue of human sexuality. And they, had been, they, they saw some parallels. Whether you agree with them or not, they, they saw some parallels between uh, the action of the church at General Conference and um, what was happening in the life of the church leading up to the, to the Civil War. And they were asking me about uh, uh, division and, uh, you know, are we going to split and all those kinds of questions. And, and uh, one young lady, there were two Methodists and three others, and I never did get denominations if we had one, uh, but there were five young ladies in the class, and, and uh, one of them, right at the end, said, uh, what do you think will be the effect on the church and the way that the world views the church um, in, uh, through this stance, like because of this stance on uh, human sexuality? Wow. <laughs> what a question. Great question. I didn't have an answer. It's a great question. And again, they, they, these young people see a parallel here. Well, I have to admit that when I retired, uh, I quit reading a lot of stuff about the issue and about General Conference and what was coming. I, I just quit. I'd had six years on the bishop's cabinet where from the very beginning of those six years. That's all we talked about. That's all we dealt with. I, I dealt with churches in my district who wanted to leave the denomination, not because of the stance that we had taken, but because of what they thought we were gonna do. Uh, so I, I was sick of it up to here, so I quit reading. And another reason that I quit reading about it was because I would usually read articles online and then I would scroll down and read the comment section. You ever do that? Don't. <laughs> and, and I was horrified by the fact that these brothers and sisters in Christ were talking to each other the way that they talked to each other. Horrible stuff. Now listen. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That's not who Jesus is. And if we are following Jesus, that kind of response and anger and, and all of that, that's not who Jesus is. 
And, and uh, no matter what the issue, if you look at all of the issues that face us, the political ones, the immigration, all of those, all of those things and all of the hateful, divisive stuff that's going on in our world and in our nation. That's not who Jesus is. So if we're going to deny ourselves and pick up our crosses and follow him, then it doesn't mean that we just believe in him, that we just accept who he was, but rather that we live our lives as he has lived his life. What are you going to do? Let us pray. Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast and our eternal home. We're grateful to you for your call upon our lives to be your people. We pray, Father, that you will give us the strength and the courage and the hope that we need to serve you in all that we do. Now send us out in your peace, and we pray, Father, for the meal that has been prepared and for times of fellowship and opportunities to be together, and we pray, Father, that you will bless it all and bless us in Christ's name.